James. Hey, Duncan. How are you, dude? I'm doing, I'm doing quite well, Matt. How are you? I'm all right, too. Um, so today we're going to talk about having conversations again. Um, yeah. And it, it's funny because, like, I basically would have thought that having conversations about conversations might be the world's worst conversation. <laughs> but it's actually the best way to have good conversations. Do you know what I mean? So if, if you've never had a conversation about conversations, you probably have well, bad conversations. So if you want to have better conversations, start having conversations about conversations. I don't imagine it would be quite the same as having a meeting about a meeting. Well, I think you see plenty of those um, in offices, like how to have good meetings. Jane, there needs to be an agenda, there needs to be a chair, there needs to be someone writing it afterwards, etc. right? But I don't think you see much as about how to have good conversations. I know there are books, you know, sort of asked to attend this, but like it's not nearly as prevalent. Um, and it, it's massively important. What, you know, what do you think? Well, I, I, I agree. Like, it's, it's, it's quite interesting how uncommon it is to, to go through the anatomy of something like a, what does what constitutes a good conversation? Uh, same with you know something like a meeting, which is as trivial as it can possibly get when it comes to you know work life. We don't we, we look at well what are the outcomes like what the information that we're sharing what the the goal in mind but I haven't actually in my life spent a lot of time thinking too much on what what are the means that we employ or that we adopt or the values that we think are useful to having that conversation. Yeah, it's it's like you get you get I don't know school that you know you have English or whatever it is in, in Australia there's lots of writing essay sort of thing, but to me you're pretty much talking in your head to yourself the whole time, right? Now you can try to quieten your mind through meditation. You might be successful in doing that, you know, for whatever, or maybe even ten minutes, but the rest of the time you're talking to yourself, right? And then when you're talking to other people, you're talking, right? So it's arguable that you spend more of your life in conversation with yourself and others than any other single thing, right? And that we don't have almost any help in thinking about how to do that well. <laughs> um, with the benefit of hindsight, I think I was really poor at conversations. Um, but I didn't think I was. I didn't even know, not just did I not think I was, that I should be trying to improve there. But I was trying to get good math marks. And I was trying to get a good job. And I was trying to be a good friend, right? And I didn't realize that possibly the most upstream thing to all of them was the conversations I have with myself and I have with others. Yeah, so for me, this goes back to a couple of conversations we've already had that slightly relate to this. But for me with school, the uh, the litmus, at least throughout my, my schooling years, which is long gone, <laughs> was I, like, essentially, and I'm overgeneralizing here, essentially what to think, right? You absorb knowledge and the expectation is for you to... Um, regurgitate that knowledge in order to get the maximum mark. And for me, I think that's been largely made redundant by things like the internet and Google. And I find it way more valuable, at least I would like for my children to learn how to think as being far more valuable in today's world. And something that we also spoke about recently in what I think was one of the first introductions in how to think was uh, Tim Urban's The Thinking Ladder in his long-winded story about us, where he takes it from how one primarily thinks like a zealot all the way up to how they think like a scientist. And that was the, like, the aha moment for me, where it was, it was like, well, 
we can talk about the message all day long, but we haven't actually taken a really good uh, you know, view on how we think about that particular message or how we construct a conversation around that message. Yeah, I really like that. Um, but that's just kind of like sort of one layer, which is like, just because you might think like a scientist doesn't mean you converse in a positive some way. Mm. You, you, you could end up conversing in like a, I'm a scientist, but I'm better than you and you're stupid, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> you're a zealot and you should go and burn the stake. You know what I mean? Um, and th- th- honestly, um, I think it's not inconceivable that I, uh, you know, when I was 18 was talking. So one of my activities at 18 was to have what I called a verbal um, jousting. It's just like a little game called, can you have a d- debate with somebody and effectively beat them, right? This is real yeah. low-level male peacocking, do you know what I mean? Because you're kind of trying to, f- am I valuable or not? And you're kind of trying to figure out your pe- pecking order or whatever, right? Um, but it was really not positive sum. But I was actually almost tra- tra- trying to be as bad at conversation as possible. <laughs> like, I, I was trying to find any little trick I could to get this. So, try to be a zealot. So... I think there's this one thing, and we'll link to this, um, thou shalt not commit logical fallacies. So one of them is like a straw man. So straw man is trying to find a weak point in the argument, which doesn't negate the overall point, but you just hammer on that weak point of it, and then you make it look like it's not good. Um, Ad hominem is where you, for instance, you attack the character of a person rather than the quality of their argument. Um, There's special pleading, the gambler's fallacy, black or white, bandwagoning, begging the question, appealing to authority, etc. There's all these things. And I suppose... Yeah, yeah, name-calling. Well, then ad hominem is partially name-calling, right? Um, is, to me, um, I think I was trying to learn as many of these, uh, t- you know, what they call logic fallacies uh, as possible to be arm myself to be able to win uh, in a verbal joust that didn't actually mean that I was, you know, helping or learning because most ideas, there's no right or wrong. You're just hopefully leveling up your thoughts. Um, and so I was literally trying to get as many of these I suppose, like, get out of jail cards as possible, <laughs> as opposed to learning how to level my th- thoughts up and to level other thoughts up. Mm. Well, I mean, so this goes all the way back for me to, you know, one of the foundations of, uh, you know, any exchange. And <laughs> when you look at the, uh, the, the hierarchy of, uh, you know, zealot-like thinking, you can, you can see it really play itself out in, in you know, you know, in, well, any any setting like a playground where there are children, and the the, the type of tool that they deploy when trying to express their views or contend with someone that doesn't necessarily align with them, and I th- I think they can pretty much resort to to name calling ninety five percent of the time. <laughs> but when we're when we're looking at this, it's it's interesting to look at well, so what's the objective here? And kind of like what you mentioned, Doug, like you weren't necessarily focused on having the best possible conversation, you were just focused on having the best outcome for yourself or wanting to win the argument, so to speak. It was zero-sum conversations, not positive-sum conversations. Correct. And so by zero-sum, what you, all you were thinking of was like getting all of, as much of the pie as possible for yourself. And so when we're looking at, like, okay, so let's let's dissect the idea of a good conversation or a good exchange and let's look at the messaging and how that can, uh, I think, maximize the potential outcome for everyone involved, like go from zero sum to positive sum. I think where you start is, well, what are the objectives or what are the values of those entering the exchange? Because this is where 
kind of like what you said, Duncan, like if you're a scientist, but you're, you're still talking around like, well, I'm a scientist that makes me better than you, then you, you actually at the foundational level have got a very different value set than someone who might want to come into the conversation with a positive sum mindset. Yeah, so that's a, I made this model. I said good conversations or conversation outcomes are mindset times messaging times message in that order. Mm. And so what is a positive sum conversation mindset? And I sort of wrote this. So if you both have a positive sum conversation mindset, then the chance of you having a good conversation is high. If, if one of you does, then it's sort of medium. And if both of you don't, then it's really low. Um, so what the positive sum conversation mindset was two things. Was what did I learn at the end of this? And how does the other person feel? Those are the questions to ask. Um, mm. And if you learn something and the other and the other person feels good, and I, I characterize that they would want to have a conversation with you in the future, that they if they look like, like yeah I enjoyed that and I want to have another one, then you got the right thing because then you'll come out like I'm not trying to be right or wrong. I'm not trying to worry about protecting my ego. I'm worried about trying to learn something and to try to have the other person feel positive at the end of it. Mm. Then you can mm. both go and have a discussion about almost anything. One could be an expert, the other could be a novice. You could both be experts, you both be novices. It doesn't matter. But if you've got the mindset wrong, it kind of all flows downhill from there to me. Well, so I find this model very interesting. And I think it, we might need it to allow for three settings where your mindset is geared highly towards positive sum, low, and then negative. So geared towards zero or negative sum. And the reason I think that might be uh, relevant here is because the, the, the two by two matrix sits very nicely over the typical prisoner's dilemma. And in that scenario, when you've got one person who is not invested in the best possible outcome for both people, then it's going to be a bad outcome for, for one of them or for the one who has that, uh, I guess, that positive sum mindset. That makes sense? Hmm. Yeah, I think so. So to me, I, I just didn't get this. Like, I think at school, you're, you're indoctrinated that there's a right and a wrong and you get grades if you're right and you get you, you lose marks if you're wrong. Um, but for the vast majority of things we're talking about, I've talked this many times, there is no right or wrong. This is your current best evolution. How do, what does it mean to live a good life? What is the common good? What is the best way to improve education? How to be a friend? You know, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, and more than that, there's not just, you know, your current evolution. There are actually many ways it could work so for instance you know relationships do you even need to have one like a romantic relationship i don't think you do if you have one do you have to want to get married no can can you have an open relationship sure can you have polygamy can you have two people from the same sex sure i don't care joan like so to me not just is there your for you but others can have uh, their own view and so it's like okay well i'm not here to tell others what to think i'm here to try to provoke thought for them and to hopefully improve my thoughts and to be flexible enough to change my thoughts. And so that's where that whole mindset, if you're walking in, what did I learn? And how does the other person feel at the end of this? Then you're hopefully got the basis towards having a, a good engagement. You're not here to tell people what to think, but you are here to tell people how to think. A new <laughs> version of a benevolent dictator. Um, but that actually, so I think you, you can actually, you can, you can see it a different way. So we weren't consciously or purposely taught how to think at school but we were still taught how to think uh, and it was indirectly through the models and and systems that were um that were adopted so like like you said we were either given a 
a, a framework where you had to strive to get the highest marks in the class, so you were already pitted against your peers. We were given uh, a methodology where there were ideas of right and wrong rather than there are just ideas and you know you can kind of explore what are helpful and what are less what has utility and what do not and so the second order consequence i think is at least you know for yourself and myself duncan our upbringing has had this um unconscious uh, bias towards zero sum or even negative sum thinking because if we're taught in a school environment that there's always someone at the top that there is a right and wrong that's going to i think transition over into how we approach a particular exchange or conversation. And so while we're not given the awareness that, hey, this is how you're thinking as a result of what you've been uh, taught in school, we're doing this on a, num- a subconscious level. Definitely. Um, so there are certain things that are in your biology, like walk to near cliff, get vertigo. You know, all humans have that, right? But there are other things that are socio-cultural indoctrination. Uh, so as an example, in the West, we're taught that people are born smart or not smart, that there's natural gifts. Whereas in the East, say China, they're taught that intelligence is the product of hard work. So, so one is a more fixed mindset, one's more growth mindset, right? West fixed mindset, you know, East growth mindset. And you see that with part of their work ethic, right? Um, and so the world used to be zero sum before the Industrial Revolution. Uh, you know, there was a fixed number of beasts and berries on the land. And if you killed off the other tribe, there were more for you. And now the world is positive sum. If you collaborate together and work, you can you can create more food, you can create more information, you can create more knowledge. So it did used to be that there was a hierarchy, whereas now everyone can grow. There's not like a certain fixed amount. And what matters is that everyone's been in a better position than they used to be and that we help those at the bottom of the sort of, I don't know, opportunity set as much as possible. And so this is a deep indoctrination because it only really changed maybe 200 years ago in developed countries. Mm from being Mm. default zero-sum to default positive-sum. But there are still components of a developed world which very much act zero-sum. Sporting games, uh, you know, classroom, you know, there's a hierarchy of this, you know, know, if you lose a mark, that's bad, versus, you know, oh, we can sort of justify things. So to me, we need to get out of that. And it took me a long while to realise that I had a default zero-sum mindset that I didn't choose. It was socio-culturally indoctrinated into me. Mm. Well, I think it's more than social-cultural. I think it's environmental. So, as, as you mentioned it does, before, so the, the stories were a reflection of the past environment, and the yeah. environment no longer is that. So, it's not environmental yes. anymore. It's a hangover yes. of the stories from when the environment had that. So, uh, well, yeah. you, you, you said it better than I could have, but that was my point. Because uh, yeah, you're bad so, at conversing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, that means you're, yeah. you're bad at messaging. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, so, yeah, so the environment up until the Industrial Revolution was uh, zero-sum because of there being scarcity in the world, right? There were only so many, uh, you know, there was only so much food to go around. There was only so much, uh, you know, protection and survival that was distributed amongst those who were living in pescatarian age and before that. So that was the mindset. That was the, the way we saw any particular, um, you know, exchange or, or problem, which was there was only so much... Uh, you know, available to me. If I lose, if someone else wins, it means that I lose. And so, even though we had the industrial revolution and that completely changed the way in which we interacted with the world and it changed our environment to an abundance, it didn't necessarily change our mindset uh, because I don't think there was a, a a similar revolution of thinking to say, 
now that we're in this world of abundance, we don't actually have to uh, adopt the same mindset that was serving us for the last 200 odd thousand years. Yeah, so the mindset's lagging effectively. So I think, um, so if you look at Robert Keegan, the Harvard Development Psychologist, um, two thirds of people get to socialize mind. Those people take the values of society as it is today. Not just do they take them, they take the beliefs that are indoctrinated into them as default truisms. They don't even question them. So it used to be oh, there's a heaven and a hell. Or, you know, one of the ones now I think is more like, for instance, you know, you must get married and have children. Well, you don't must, you know, you can, but you don't, you don't must, right? Um, and that people that get above socialized mind, which is his self-authoring, self-transforming, they're not necessarily taking what's indoctrinated into them as an article of tr- faith, you know, or, or truth. Um, so to me, yeah, to get the conversations to happen right, I think you've got to have the right mindset, which is that, you know, world is positive sum. Therefore, what did I learn? Not was I right or wrong? Because what I learned is a positive sum mindset. Was I right or wrong? Is a zero sum mindset. And then if you want to play more games, i.e. conversation games, you, you want to be a good partner. And if you're a good partner, mm-hmm. those will want to come back and play another game with you, which means how mm-hmm. do they feel? So you can get them both right. I walked in wanting to learn, not be right. And I walked in trying to have the other person have enjoyed talking to me. Then they'll want to talk with me again. And so then if the world is positive sum, the more you level up your mind, your thoughts, the better your ability to operate and the better your ability to live a good life and to help with others. Yeah, so I just want to share one more way of thinking about this, which is, so you and I have discussed before how we are not necessarily rational uh, creatures, us, <coughs> us fellow human beings. And what was discovered as part of that exploration is our, our way of thinking isn't tied to, well, sorry, survival was not tied to logical reasoning. It was tied to confirmation. And that's something uh, that even Tim Irvin teased out in one of his articles. He talked about, do you attach your value system to confirmation or do you attach it to truth? And it seems that it's only in today's world where there is an abundance we have the luxury of attaching ourselves to seeking out truth as opposed to seeking out confirmation because that was the programming that we had for however long that enabled our survival. And so until we can have someone come along and you know give us the proverbial uh, tap on the shoulder to say this way of thinking or programming is no longer necessary, Your survival, you know, our survival genes are still deeply embedded you know, in our deep, deep subconscious, but they don't serve the same purpose that they used to. And so it's almost like you need to bring an awareness to this kind of thinking first before you can actually shift over um, the way in which you want to converse into a positive sum exchange. Yeah, I like that. Um, basically, I think that I've taken it, but I didn't know, as in, um, mm. you know, given that the world is now um, positive sum, but it, I didn't. I, I default thought it was zero sum, right? Yeah. And that's allowed me to have the right mindset. But I think you can just sort of say this, uh, and so we've got this. Okay. So the first part was mindset. Then the second part is messaging. So maybe we'll move on to that. Messaging, I sort of wrote down here, is empathy times word choice times confidence. Uh, so empathy is your ability to understand how others are feeling plus have others believe you understand how they're feeling. So if you don't understand how they're feeling and have them believe you understand, then they probably aren't necessarily going to want to continue talking to you or, or, or listen to how you feel. Um, 
And so that's a really, really good skill. Like how can you, when you're in the, in the talking to someone, have that? Um, and maybe we'll just start there. Like, do you think this is an important component, James, or do you think that that's not an important component of messaging? So um, which one, the word choice itself? No, no, no. So the messaging is three things. Empathy. Yeah, empathy, word, word choice, choice, and confidence. Could, yeah, and so the empathy as understanding how others feel and having others believe that you understand how they feel. Do you think that's a so and that comes through your sort of messaging? Do you think that's an important component of messaging or not really? Well, so I asked myself this question: um, Is empathy the opposite of narcissism? <laughs> and well, I think it is. And mm, like to answer your so so upfront answer your question: Yes, I think it's it's, it's it is. Like without going into enough depth here, I do think it is essential to have a positive sum exchange. Because in order to have a positive sum, I think there is a requirement where you have to have the other person's own, not interest, but situation as part of your overall consideration. I don't think you can come, um, you know, as an as a siloed or a, a, a like an island with your own worldview, expecting to be able to have a positive sum uh, exchange. Like, I think it's, it's in there in the writing that in order for it to be positive sum, both parties need to benefit. In order for both parties to benefit, I think you need to understand how the other party could stand to benefit from this exchange. And that's where I think empathy is required. I think it's more than that. Like, you've got to try to understand what they're saying and not from your perspective, from their perspective. And then you've got to try to demonstrate that you've understood and mm. part of, so no man is an island, as they say, right? Um, because you don't work, live in a world where it's just you. There are other people. More than that, I personally believe multiplayer games are often way more fun than single player games. I probably want to spend one day a week where it's just me, but the rest of the week, there are other humans around, right? Um, <laughs> and to get them to want to play multiplayer games with you, whether it's at work, whether it's as a friendship, whether it's whatever, right? Um, understanding how they feel should improve your ability to be able to act in a positive some way and to have discussions. So I suppose mindset was like, how are they feeling? That's the right mindset. Well, if you want to have them feel good at the end, you need to be able to understand them. Or sorry, Mm. you don't need to. It's much better to be able to understand them. Like it would be much, much, much more difficult to to understand them. So it's like, cool. Mm. Empathy is like, well, if you want them to walk out feeling well, if you don't understand how they feel when they're talking about certain things and how, how certain circumstances affect them, then it's very unlikely you're going to have them uh, walk out in a positive right. way. So I actually, so just going through this, I've, I've, um, I've revised my model. So I think that having a positive sum mindset plus empathy makes you compassionate. Having a negative sum mindset plus empathy makes you a narcissist. So it's not that empathy is the opposite of narcissism, it's how do you deploy that empathy, right? So as I think you mentioned, empathy really is the ability to understand the other person's worldview and their experiences. But what mindset you attach to that determines whether you're going to uh, you know, bring about a mutually beneficial exchange or one where it's really self, um, uh, self-vested. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I suppose, I've, you know, literally, like, I, when I, again, like 20-year-old Duncan, uh, and this is a mythical person who I don't recall because it's a long time ago now, but I've got this vision in my head of what I was like, um, and I hope that I've grown. <laughs> uh, but one, <laughs> not, not trying to win, trying to learn, right? Two, yeah. trying to have someone at the end of the conversation feel good and therefore want to have another conversation with you again in the future at some point. Well, mm. 
if you're doing that, you're wanting to understand what they're, how they're feeling about what they're saying, not what they're saying and how you process what they're saying, how they're feeling about what they're saying, and then have them try to believe or try to demonstrate to them that you understand how they're feeling. And if you get that, that's an entirely other lens. So I suppose what I was doing is in the past, like 20 or Duncan, taking what they were saying and looking at it in an entirely logic-driven perspective, right? And only with my context. So no one has the same context as you. Everyone's got, you know, their different life experience. No one's got perfectly similar life experiences, even twins, right? Mm. And so therefore, I was taking what they were saying, processing it logically only with my context, not spending time trying to understand their context, not spending time trying to understand how it made them feel, just looking at how I could try to logically, you know, put that into my puzzle, you know, or my picture. Um, mm. And so I suppose one lens is like, no, look at it from an, how does it make you feel? How does it make them feel? Mm. Can you confirm? So just say, okay, that made you feel this way. Ah, interesting. Okay. And maybe did you feel this too? So I will now ask people about how, how it made them feel, you know, <laughs> uh, or does that make you feel this way? Or, oh, that makes you feel this. I would never have said that as a 20 year old, not because I was worried about saying it. It didn't even cross my mind to consider saying. Mm. So I think the really interesting part of that is going from winning the game to winning the game of games. And yeah. I, I, well, I, I, really, I really find that, you know, and, you know, and sometimes for good reason, but like childhood, there's this, this point where you go from trying to figure out how to win the game very quickly to how to win the game of games because it's in that do we start to, I think, build Can you explain what you mean by the game of games? Because in some respects, it yeah. still sounds like a zero-sum thing, but it's not, yeah. Yeah, well, exactly. So I think that's a great point. So the game of games is really just about thinking about how you can get other people to willingly and or wanting, want to engage with you over a long series of interactions, right? So as opposed to... Uh, Duncan and I playing Mario Kart and me just absolutely thrashing him oh, every single time. Um, I have to let him win sometimes so that he feels like <laughs> that this is actually a worthy exchange for him to participate in. But the um, as um, as crude and accurate as my example is, the the idea is that if all you're doing is focusing on winning the game itself, it's doesn't play well to consider how that extrapolates outwards to wanting to play as many games as possible. And so that's where I think it's beneficial for us to have this understanding of positive sum because if you can lift your own awareness from, well, I just want to win the next game to, well, actually what I really want is to win the game of games, um, then I can consider how that plays itself out in the way I interact with the world. Yeah. Okay. So I think we've done the empathy thing. I think it's important. So it wasn't even a consideration for me when I was 20. Um, when I was trying to win conversations as opposed to, you know, have both players win, right? As in, what did I learn? Uh, two, I wasn't really trying to understand how things made them felt or honestly, probably how I was feeling about things. Um, uh, and then try to I have others um, see my efforts to try to understand them and to see if it was, you know, a fair reflection. The next one, I think, is sort of word choice. Um, for a while, like, I don't, again, let's just pick 20-year-old Duncan. <laughs> I thought that improved quality of, of, of articulation was more precise articulation. Um, and 
most things are not able to be precise. It's not mathematics. One plus one is two. Jane, mm. most things are amorphous ideas that like, okay, how, what does it mean to live a good life? Well, there's no answer, right? And that there's in no the one space, answer. yeah, there's no one answer. But even then, like, you, you can't like you can't explain the answer, Jane. Like to me, the best you've yeah. got is like a, is a sort of attempt that is part of the picture that is yeah. done at low resolution when you're trying to describe a high resolution thing, and also more than that, yeah. that it's different days, different things, right? So to me, um, I think for a while I was going at precision, um, if that makes sense. But yeah. I've realized that in some places, precision is not not just not possible, actually suboptimal, that the idea is amorphous and it will always be amorphous. And that as such, your word choice in trying to be precise is counterproductive. But not mm-hmm. just that, it can actually push people back into defense mode because you're defining things as this or that, black or white, mm-hmm. as opposed to having things as uh, something for consideration. Like you're trying to mm-hmm. provoke thought and you're yeah. trying to allow something to be able to be flexible as yeah. opposed to telling someone how it is and making sure it's no flexibility. Yeah. Mm. So if you look up the word precise in the English dictionary, I'm pretty sure you're not going to find a picture of me. <laughs> <laughs> or, or yourself for that matter. But mm. what, I'm, like, what I actually think about when I see this idea of word choice is something that you and I, Duncan, talk about every single time we have this podcast, which is our choice of wording and how that can potentially affect the way people perceive, um, you know, perceive us in in a particular conversation. And so the 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 dimensions that I would uh, use in this are subjective versus objective word choices. Uh, and so I think to use myself as an example, oftentimes I would deploy words that sit very heavily in the objective landscape things like always must never um you know very very um absolute as you would say whereas if i were to bring more awareness to that and how that actually does not serve the message that i'm trying to express and that instead i need to soften my language to highlight the subjective nature of what I'm talking about because it is subjective it's either my opinion or something that I learned from my own experience it's not an objective truth it's something that I uh, you know am am sharing from my own personal worldview mm. yeah so again for things that, that uh, I don't know that you know, can't uh, never be understood. ideas that you don't always upgrade you know you can always have a different view and more than that multiple views are often right, you know, because what's right for one person isn't right for another person. Being absolute about it, always this is, you know, you know, must, is literally not possible. And so doing as such is effectively pushing it and tipping it into a zero-sum thing, which is there is a right and a wrong. When there Mm. isn't, there is an approach that you can upgrade infinitely and more than that, that there are multiple approaches that could work well. And so... There are places for a, a strong, absolute language. I don't know. We start the meeting at nine o'clock, right? Today is Tuesday. Is it Tuesday or is it Wednesday, James? I don't even know this. <laughs> <laughs> Not good. Um, but, but there are the vast majority of other things, like, I don't know, how to make a good question uh, in maths. Uh, you know, mm. what, what, what makes an engaging, uh, you know, uh, sort of TV show? 
you know, they, there aren't things in this. There's just a sort of evolving stuff. So, so for the vast majority of things, being precise isn't possible. And being mm. precise makes it actually feel like there is a right and a wrong, which, mm. because it's not possible, means that people are f- pushing into defense mode or black and white, right and wrong, zero sum mode that yeah. causes, you know, I think, uh, yeah. bad outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, let me know if this makes sense, but I think I just picked up on the irony that the, the phrase, there are no right or wrong ideas, is itself a paradox. Uh, it depends because you're saying no, no. It is a paradox, kind of. But I don't think it's. I don't think it's. I think it's. So is it? Is it uh, axiomatic? As in, is it self-evidently true? I think it is because you're saying it's something that it can't be, but yeah. you're using words. So is it ironic? I think so. Yes. Um, yeah. But is it so, actually a fair thing to say? Yes. So you can be absolute <laughs> about not being absolute. Does that make sense? Which is kind of what you're saying. Very sly, Duncan. Very sly. So yeah. um, the, the mental, the way I think about this is, I think to that, um, to that thinking that there are no, well, I think there's no limit to the number of ideas that could potentially uh, percolate in the world or uh, that one could, uh, you know, draw from. And so I think of it as this, you know, endless space where all ideas can potentially um, exist. And... I don't think given the limits of the human mind, it's possible for any one person to have all ideas, uh, you know, an awareness of all ideas at any one time. And so the best, I think, thing we can do is by sharing ideas with each other, we expand our understanding of this space of potential ideas. Now, some ideas, I think, have more utility than others. That's my way of saying it's not about whether it's right or wrong, it's whether they're helpful or not. And... If this is the way I, um, if, if I approach conversation with this particular mindset, then it, it helped me, it helped guide me towards wanting to hear other ideas being expressed as opposed to wanting to simply express my idea and having that way win the day, so to speak. Mm. So I think, yeah, there are certain things like that are absolute, again, like whatever, the time, the day. Um, that you shouldn't be absolute. But for, for, the, the, for so there's facts. You can be absolute about facts, right? Um, you can't be absolute about ideas because ideas can evolve. And not just that, some ideas, there is a sort of current, you know, maxima. But in other ideas, there is, you know, multiple maximas that work for different people. The maxima for James, the maxima for Duncan. And so in the space of ideas, it does not make sense to have... Um, absolute language mm. Mm. so what i think the the challenge with word choice is that people can, may get stuck up on well if i say the wrong word then it will affect my message at the you know the foundational level so let's say your message is that you want to um you know discuss discuss the idea of free will and you might have a particular way of saying that when it, it comes to word choice, if we have this underlying, uh, I guess, idea that all we have is our own experience of the world, right? So I don't think it's fair to say any person has an objective view of reality. We can talk philosophically about whether that's even possible. Mm-hmm. 
But if all you have is your own personal view of the world, then you can at least then stand to reason that every single person's individual worldview is 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 different and unique. And by allowing you to soften your words in a way that gives credence to other people's worldviews having the same value. Now there's reputation, there's credibility, there's all of these other things that you can think of that underpin all of this. But what we're talking about here is how to approach a conversation with the view of creating positive some outcome, right? Mm. I would think that by bringing the awareness to there being no one way in which this can be constructed will help almost intuitively guide the way in which you choose your words to ensure that any other person can share their views in the same way that you want to share yours or their ideas. Mm. I think when we're talking about this, and so I think both of us, um, so one of the one of the beautiful things about the podcast is that you can listen to yourself talk. And so it's not <laughs> normal though. I think most people record themselves talking and then listen back. Um, and slowly over time, I've been able to build an ability to listen in different ways to myself. And initially, I was mainly focusing just on the, the logic, if that, you know, what I was saying in this. And then I started to hear word choice. And I started mm. to see some word choice, I think, being counterproductive. So as an example, using absolute words when I should have been using soft or sort of, you know, um, words that aren't absolute, you know, uh, words. Uh, then you start to listen to, okay, well, was I actually trying to understand somebody emotionally? Or was I just looking at the pure logic from Duncan's lens, not what, you know, from their lens and anything? And then you start to get into, and, and what was the confidence that I was sort of saying? So you might, for instance, say that you understand someone, you might have soft tones, but then your mm. confidence says, I'm better than you and you're wrong. You know, your tone, right? And <laughs> that's not going to go down well. So to me, the outcome, you might mindset, positive sum, and, you know, and how do they feel? Messaging, you want to be able to try to understand their, what, how they're feeling and to have them believe that you're trying to understand. I don't think they necessarily understand, but if they believe you're trying, it's pretty good. You want to have mm. the right word choice in the right place. And all else equal, being soft versus absolute, I found is much better. So in, when in doubt, choose soft language, you know? Yeah. And then the third one we should get onto, well, even though you've got that, how, what kind of confidence you have? And so to me, too little confidence is bad. You're like, you're not backing yourself. You're sort of like, I don't know, um, crippling self-doubt, et cetera. Too much confidence is bad too. You know, undue un, uh, confidence is hubris or arrogance, you know? And then the right amount is, is growth. And so some areas you don't really have a good understanding or basis or haven't thought much, you should be not confident. Some areas you do, you, mm. you should be. But if you, mm. if you get it wrong and it doesn't match what you're saying, then you're in a bad place. Mm. So, so for me, when we're talking about confidence and tone, I feel confidence is one of those um, non-binary values. And to use your wording, Duncan, like there's confidence done well and confidence done poorly. <laughs> um, the way I would characterize this is non-verbal um, cues or non-verbal body language, body language. Um, maybe tone does come into that in in such a way because it's not what you say, it's the pitch in which you deploy. <laughs> but for me here, it's that idea of like, am I expressed? Like, so tone and confidence is all about how you're being received by the other person, I feel, right? I receiving feedback from you in the past, Duncan, have been told that I come off as overly confident, regardless of whether or not I was actually confident in myself. 
So mm. I think this is about m managing the way you express your message so or how you deliver your message in such a way that you are you understand that it's going to be received by the other person in the way in which you intend it. Mm. I think whether you like it or not, you have a certain confidence around the way you're saying things. Um, and your confidence should be requisite to mm. what you're saying. Um, and I, I, maybe this is just me trying to be there. Like I, I can feel short on time and then I can rush to try to catch up on time, right? And rushing is like next decision, next decision, next decision, next decision, right? And that just this making decisions like bang, 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 uh, doesn't necessarily uh, allow, I suppose, space for others to have the, the time they would want to process things. And so that can come across as you being very confident. Okay, I work on that. No, bang, next. Uh, we're, we're out of time. Next, crack. Mm -hmm. uh, and But I think even in this, it's kind of like sometimes you're trying really hard because someone's, you think, saying something that doesn't make sense. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and you're trying hard to wait and to say, okay, oh, yeah, does that mean you understand this? And then use your soft words. But then underneath you're just like, does this idiot realize that that doesn't make sense? You know? <laughs> and so you're undone by the tone. Um, and so I suppose... Yeah. I was very conscious for quite a while about word choice. And I think mm. I was conscious about trying to understand them, but I wasn't conscious about tone. Um, mm. And so it was kind of like a thin veneer. Yeah, that got to, you know, uh, and then it undid because it doesn't help. Again, you, you stopped learning uh, mm. and you stopped having them hopefully feel good. Mm. Yeah. So I feel like um, this, this, this outwardly expression of confidence can, can, can somewhat be explained by things like the Dunning-Kruger effect. Right, so this is where incompetent people don't know they're incompetent, uh, and I can't remember the the the, the other um, the other phrase, but it was something about um, you know smart people are always second guessing themselves, whereas those who are not smart are always sure of themselves, and I think that's how this is comes across in the sense that you know the more you know, the more you know you don't know, and if you're being overly confident or arrogant in delivering something, I think. That can, it might actually be, uh, you know, subconsciously received by the other person as, well, this is someone who seems to be highly invested in their idea. And it doesn't come, it doesn't seem apparent to me that they are thinking that it's possible that there are other variations or other ideas that could also be equally valuable or more so. And so I think when you are expressing you know, your message and your messaging in a very confident way, you're almost subconsciously communicating to the other person that I know I'm right. And that way of thinking does not lend itself to a positive some outcome. That mm. way of thinking lends itself to I'm thinking about myself in this situation and that I believe that I have, you know, the superior approach or mindset mm. or knowledge. And that then extrapolate itself out to zero sum yeah you know the subject is quite the, the good learn from everything and everyone the average for themselves and the stupid already know everything if you think yeah, you're right you you're stupid do you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and you're not learning from everyone and everybody so in ideas they can't be right but honestly like sometimes i you know you like oh my god i don't know this person knows way more about this and other times i feel like yeah i've done a lot more thinking about this um yeah. but that doesn't mean that you can't learn from them but you might be like, oh, the, you know, I've, I've, they've never thought about this idea, you know, but I've thought about this idea for like 100 hours. And so I probably have more developed thoughts. And 
So to me, it's it's like doesn't mean you again underconfidence is crippling self doubt. You don't put things forward. You don't make decisions. You, you don't move anywhere. Analysis paralysis, right? Overconfidence mm. is you stop listening, and therefore you end up yeah. driving full speed into a brick wall, right? <laughs> um, and the the right amount of in the middle of like humility, but not humility to the point of over humility. You know, false humility um, is crucial. And so to me, it's this like the whole one is like the other ones are, are more like. Well, empathy is trying to understand how other person feels. This is trying to show how you feel to them. Like, are you coming across as a know-it-all? You know, um, are you coming across whatever things? And to basically, getting that right is crucial. And so, I think we want to talk about people quickly, right? To me, um, Peterson comes across as like you are an idiot. Do you know, like, to a lot of people he's speaking to, like, all right, ne- next idiot, step up, and I'm gonna you know lop your head off because I know way more, right? And yep. not just that. He also gets aggravated, <laughs> like he's 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 getting up there and he's he's like he's he's annoyed. Um, uh, well, I think you know um, his word choice can get bad. His empathy is bad, right, at times. But his messaging is on point. Like he's got some really really good ideas to consider, but he gets his messaging totally off. Empathy off, word choice off, confidence off. Sam Harris, I think messaging can also be really good. I think he's an idol <clears> in certain places. We had a whole podcast on how we don't think that free will. Uh, you know, as he talks about it, you know, determinism makes sense. And he's an ideologue. He's like, it's not possible. I'm like, you, you should not, like, that's literally antithesis of, you know, pauperism or, or you know, um, falsification. Um, and so to me, it's really interesting you sort of see this. You're like, oh my God. Yeah. And so it's, there's these new lenses. So now when I'm listening to a podcast or whatever, I'll be like, cool. Do I think they've got the right mindset? One of them does, one of them doesn't. Okay. Do I think that one of them is trying to understand the other and trying to have the other them? Yes, no. Do I think that they've got the right word choice? You know, good, yes, no. Do I think that their confidence is represented what it should be? Yes, no. And then as you do this, you slowly become more aware of them. Like I was literally totally unaware of them like three years ago, right? Uh, like word choice and to- comfort, tone confidence properly. And then you go from like no awareness to like a little bit of awareness to like slowly more to being able to actually be self-aware real time. And you can start to be thinking like, I hear James in this podcast pausing and choosing words all the time literally i can you can hear it i can see his mind thinking whereas i don't think he used to do that james and to me it's doing a world of good for our ability to discuss like i haven't in my i used to then i choose a word choice that i thought wasn't great and then i'd get maybe a little frustrated about it there's not been a single time i've been frustrated this this podcast whereas at the beginning when we started this podcast there were <laughs> yeah if you could see me, you could see the steam coming out of my ears as well, trying to yeah. like trying to really you know uh, concentrate very hard on <laughs> my choice of wording. Um, but yeah, so like I, I do I do agree to a large degree on your characterization of Jordan Peterson in how his message I find you know supremely uh, you know well versed and like he I think does think on these topics for an extended period of time and he goes very deep into them. Whereas his messaging does not serve him as well as it potentially could. And it's, it's actually, it's, it's interesting because um, on the last topic we were just um, discussing, the irony is that in um, his, his one of his books, The 12 Rules for Life, one of the rules is um, assume that the person you are listening to might know something you don't. <laughs> and you, you you don't really see him live this particular rule to, to it often you know, yeah. <laughs> often um and like they've they've been great 
conversations on YouTube where the person he's talking to will mention this rule back to him. They're like, you are talking to me like I have nothing of value to offer and yet this is one of your rules. Um, what do you think about that? But... <laughs> you don't know no value to offer. <laughs> there are exceptions <laughs> to the rule. You prove the exception. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think that comes back to this idea. Like, if, if, if you're... Um, you know, if your approach to the conversation is to, you know, allow yourself to be triggered by other people's mind, uh, worldview, then it's, you know, it, it can be cutting because this person might be zero sum themselves. But if you're wanting to be positive sum, then, you know, you got to be the change that you want to see in the world. Nelson Mandela. Hmm. And for Jordan, I find that if someone I think is that was actually thinking, a Gandhi quote, James, you doofus. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was me attempting to exhibit really, really poor messaging because uh, James yeah. misattributed the quote. Well, I, 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 I could have I gone all the way to the bottom with my retort, but I won't yeah, say that. Yeah, so. cool. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think there's also, so there's this other underlying responsibility that just because the other person's not thinking or expressing in positive sum, I think we can still take on the responsibility of trying to move that conversation into a positive sum um, conversation mm. and mm. you know Jordan Peterson for example is not the best person at doing that mm. I agree um, he spent a lot of time I think thinking about thoughts and stuff but not necessarily that much time conversing that wasn't what he was doing he was a university uh, professor and he, yeah. yeah he did do lectures and I've listened to some of his lectures and I think they're quite good um, I think that his ideas are very interesting and thought provoking I don't agree with all of them but uh, he, he wasn't a I don't know orator you know, like a politician or something you know and although some politicians are particularly bad at uh, having uh, positive some conversations. <laughs> um, and then he kind of got thrust into the sort of limelight. And I think that he's done so much time upgrading his mind. I don't believe there are people who are born smart of them, that he's got super cultivated in certain areas, like 10 levels above others that he's speaking to. And so he can find it frustrating about what certain people are saying and that then his frustration isn't necessarily self-regulated and comes out in word choice, tone, you know, et cetera. Um, all right, so we went to the final section quickly because we're going to run out of time. So there were three. Mindset, we've been to that. Messaging, we've been to that. Then message. Um, so there's a, there'll be a couple of bottles here. Um, I'll put them in, in the link in the in the podcast uh, description and also be like a blog about from bad to good. So one model is Tim Urban, zealot to scientist. I think it's zealot uh, lawyer. What's the one above that? Something. Sports fan. Sports, sports fan scientist. And that's how you think. Uh, so effectively not trying to find ways to prove you're right, uh, you know, but trying to see in a sort of clear and as rational possible way. Another one is this kind of hierarchy of um, messaging. But then there's all these um, log log logic fallacies to not commit, which are beautiful. Because in the past, you were kind of searching for a way to try to win the... I was searching for a way to win the argument. And I didn't realize that I was actually committing some of these. The most famous one, I think, is the straw man argument, which we've sort of been through. But to me, just knowing about these logic fallacies and knowing to try to not commit them is uber awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you, yeah. I, in, in terms of like message and how, how you think being tied to that, I really, really, um, you know, am drawn to Tim Urban's model of scientist, sports fan, lawyer, zealot. And... One of the reasons, but um, you know, aside from his exceptional uh, illustration skills, is mm. he he makes a lot of the concepts really simple. And the the most powerful one for me here is 
how he explains the reasoning process for these different types of thinkers. So if you think about a scientist, their reasoning process is objective. They are you know, at the center and they want to receive as much or as many ideas as possible and let the best one win out. Whereas a sports thinker or sports fan, their, their reasoning is motivated reasoning, which means that they allow for... So if you're a sports fan, you want the opposing teams to have all of their best players on the ground, but you're motivated for your team to win. So there is a bias there. So you can still be tied to truth, but you want a particular outcome. And then for the lawyer, it's obligated reasoning, which is you basically, you have your idea and then you find everything to support that idea. And you, it's, it's, it's actually, I think, a more dangerous than the zealot, which is no reasoning. It's just idea cannot be questioned. Um, I find the lawyer more dangerous because they can deploy uh, reasoning in order to get other people over to their way of thinking. Yeah. Um, so to me, like just looking through some of these things, and I think we might have to sort of wrap it up after this because um, it's sort of getting to the end of time. But, you know, another big one here is just like black or white. So most things are gray, but you oversimplify it to good or bad, Jane, and then you can kind of, no, that's bad. Um, part of straw man is like there might be three things you need to consider. So what does it mean to be a good friend? Okay, well, you're willing to laugh at someone. Um, you're willing to support someone. Um, but you're also willing to tell someone when their shit stinks, you know, um, and so I just made up that thing, you know, there's three components there. But someone will be like, no, um, it's only telling that someone shit stinks and that therefore, if you don't do that, you're a bad friend. All right, well, no, there are different types of friends, right? And some friends that are, they are, I don't know, just go and have a, a, a beer at the pub, have a laugh type thing. Um, they're not all the other stuff or whatever. Um, so to me, this is a good way to have a straw man argument. Well, if you don't do that, you're a bad friend. Like, well, no, different friends, different <laughs> things. Yeah. All right, dude. I think we're coming up to the hour, so we should make sure we've got enough time to summarize. Yeah, you want to start summarizing? All right, I'll give it a crack. So this is part two of a, a wider conversation around how to have a conversation. And so uh, Duncan has laid out in what I find to be a really useful and simple um, framework, which is to in order to have a quality conversation, you need the right mindset, you need, the, um, you need messaging, and you need the message itself. Uh, the, the, the key focus of this particular conversation really was around, um, I find, mindset and messaging uh, because the message itself, I think, is, is more transient uh, and it's not actually uh, as utilistic in terms of having a good conversation. So for mindset, I think we want to bring awareness to positive sum thinking. I feel like in the past, pre-industrial revolution, the world was zero sum and there was only so much of the pie that one person could get, and if they win, other people lose. And after the revolution, we haven't necessarily, I don't think, brought everyone's way of thinking into the new world where, hey, it's no longer if I win, you lose. It's there is an abundance of resources, there's an abundance of ideas. We can now have the luxury of finding the, the best one to win out. Um, and then with messaging, it's, it's similar in the sense where if I can think about what the goal of an exchange is or a conversation is. And if I can think about that, if ideas and if worldviews are purely my subjective uh, experience of the world, and that makes me no more special or no more um, you know, privy to information than everyone else, then my motivation should be to let all ideas come 
you know, into the center for us to be able to explore them equally. And then I think confidence and tone, this idea is really about awareness of how you are being received by uh, everyone else in the exchange and ensuring that your delivery doesn't, uh, I, I think, you know, Im impede your ability to get your message across. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to me, that I think learning how to have good conversations is, or attempting to level up your ability to have good conversations is a, a key time thing to be spending time on. Uh, you know, as much as anything, because you're having conversations in your head the whole time and you're having conversations with people the whole time. Uh, and so it's kind of like the infrastructure upon which almost everything else runs, right? Um, and you, you'll think about, oh, I need to get better at whatever, UX, I need to get better at Excel skills. I need to, you know, these things. But like, I, I don't know why I wasn't trying to get better at conversations, given I think that they are the basis of so many things. I've got some things here, mindset, messaging, uh, you know, message. And the message logic one, I think, is sort of interesting. And I think that's probably more explored. Like there's more, in my opinion, literature out there, or at least that what I've found is much more of that. But what I think you can do is that you can slowly become aware of things and that you can then, they become defaults. You know, um, the word choice you, you have you, happens by default or by design. But you want to have your default be really, really helpful. <laughs> and so to me, thinking about trying to understand, to ask questions, to understand empathy and to have others see you're trying to do this wasn't part of what I had as a conversation thing. Trying to have word choice that was reflective of what I was talking about uh, and also trying to get the tone right and then seeing other people's tone. I just didn't know to think of those things. And this is like sad because, um, you know, I don't think my life's ended badly. Frankly, I think I've got a very, very good life and I'm very, very happy for the people in it and thank you so forth. But like, I don't. I just think I could have been a lot better. Uh, I think that I have committed, without knowing, many, you know, self-inflicted wounds, um, and it's just annoying. Like, why? Why didn't I know about this ten years ago? Sort of thing, you know. Um, and, anyways, it's it's fun. So hopefully this has been useful or helpful to others to provoke some thought. And I think it's good for us because, like, seriously, I think the quality of our podcast conversations is wildly more energizing to me. Like, this is a reflection than what it was when we started this whatever four years ago. Um, so, mm. yeah. You know, gone from cloud smears to, to cloud streaks and... <laughs> <laughs> cloud tears <laughs> to cloud... Cloud tears. Smiles. <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, I don't know. Great cool. message. Great message. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not my best work. All right, cool. All right, thanks, James. I'll see you soon, dude. Cheers, Doug. Bye. Bye.